Hello, bantering the blue shirts friends. Uh, normally it's Joe that does the intros. Joe is not here uh, because there is a blackout. So he'll actually be he'll be in this week's uh, what is it called? What do we call our Q and A show, Tom? What's wrong with me? Off the post. I Off named the post. Wow, my brain is just not good today, friends. Um, but as and I, not only that, I also spoiled uh, Joe's replacement, Tom. Tom Hart Jr. from Blue Shirt Banner is uh, is filling in for Joe for this show, which is appropriate because Tom really kind of spearheaded our coverage of the big bit of news that we're going to talk about tonight, Tom. And what is that bit of news? That bit of news is Jacob Truba. He's uh, he's going to be a ranger for uh, a very long time uh, if all goes to plan. And uh, interesting times in Rangerland. It is definitely interesting times in Rangers land. There was some speculation from Larry Brooks that we might see Truba negotiate for a one-year deal so that he could then sign uh, an eight-year deal, you know, to get to kind of buying up as much of those UFA years as possible and maximizing all the money he could get out of this big relocation for him because as uh, both Boucher Banner and Shana over at The Athletic pointed out, that this was this is really the first big deal of Jacob Truba's career, um, and for those who don't know, although I'm sure everyone who's listening to the show does know, uh, it is an eight million a year AAV, which is higher than we were anticipating. It's higher than we had kind of heard would be where the ballpark or neighborhood would be. It's generally speaking about 500k a year more than we were expecting. Uh, to a lot of people. That has them very nervous. Uh, to some people, it's it's a problematic thing because it's Truba is not necessarily the the greatest uh, defender in his own zone. He's not an elite defensive defenseman uh, by any regard. He's not Jacob Slavin or anything like that. But he is a guy who you can have as your top pair. He's an excellent two-way defenseman with offensive upside and. So long as he's kind of on that first power play unit and he's getting that, he's played in that role, meaning this team doesn't ask him to be the penalty killing defenseman. It's kind of, that's kind of what the market price is for a defenseman like Truba, right, Tom? Yeah, it's sort of an interesting thing. And I feel like each and every year, there's always a contract or two where we see the number and there's this sort of reaction. And I think. Uh, oftentimes we don't take into consideration like what the salary cap number is and what the going rate is. It's I feel like we just have this idea in our head of okay, X is a eight million dollar player, Y is a four million dollar player. Um, but as you said, he's twenty five years old. The Rangers traded for him, so in any form of negotiation, you can't go to a person that you traded for and say, yeah, we only like you this much, so we only want to give you this amount of money. And him being arbitration eligible made them want to get a deal done now. And $8 million's the price. And I think they would have paid that next year as well. Yeah, I think they might have paid more than that next year, really, if, if that is what this came to. Uh, in your piece, you mentioned that he is the youngest D making $8 million or more. Uh, for next season uh, but something that I think is really interesting to look at is that cap percentage and that's something I think Shana did a good job of in her piece for The Athletic which came out today which is to say that Truba's uh, cap percentage is I think it's 9.28 uh, 
if I'm wrong, you can correct me, Tom. I think that's what... Oh, no, it's 9.82. That's right. So, you know, compared to some of his peers, especially, you know, a contract that a lot of people point to is OEL's contract, which was signed last, uh, last July 1st, and his cap hit of $8.25 million, which was 10.4% of the cap there. Uh, so, and of course, another contract that is that is looked to is something I tweeted about back in 2016, July 1st, when he was also 25, uh, Victor Hedman signed his $7.875 million contract for eight years, and that was 10.8% of the cap. So Truba is below both of those guys in terms of cap percentage, and he's two years younger than OEL was when he signed his eight-year deal. Obviously, the the extra year of uh, term there might have brought down their cap it and the negotiations a little bit or what their AAV was but this is all of this is a way to say that we've seen some uh, some passionate reactions at this time that might be a little overstated but make no mistake this is a big deal that Truba is going to take up 8 million of the cap especially because we have to now one consider the fact that the Rangers have added 19.642 million in cap space between him and Panarin and two, there's the whole issue of what comes next. And I think that's an interesting point to make, what comes next. And at least one way that I sort of looked at Truba's contract is, for many years, how I've sort of looked at, just in terms of dollars, what Henrik Lundqvist's contract was, in the yeah. sense that you are paying a premium for a top player at a position. So if you were to look at what the Rangers were spending on goaltending, you're obviously spending a lot for your starter, but you're spending even less on your backup. So from an overall positional spend, it sort of makes sense. Now, obviously in the Rangers' perspective, it's a little bit different because you still have Kevin Shattenkirk, you still have Mark Stahl and Brendan Smith, even though Smith probably ends up in Hartford. Yeah, yeah. But... Two years from now, I would say that both of those contracts will be gone. If not, you know, one of those contracts coming up, um, you know, whether it's in in the buyout period or if if Gorton somehow able to find a way to trade one of them, I don't think that's likely. But I'm not going to throw it out as a possibility. Um, as you said, is sort of moving forward. I I think your your you bring up an interesting point. Yes, they have all that money that they've added, but if you take a look at um, you know cap friendly, and you can do this obviously yeah. in your your free time, you sort of look at some of the money that will offset it a year from now, whether it's Nemestikov uh, or or Strom or you know Bolesky, who or will the be Girardi then completely getting reduced a little bit. Yeah, exactly. So, like you said, it's money in. But money's going to be going out, and if I'm the Rangers, it's it's finding that balance. And the example that I I sort of you know I didn't use it in my article, but I, I was thinking of it in my head. If they can pretty much operate for a year with the belt tied really tight, you know they they're able to get it to a an extra rung. They get through that year, and then that year's over. Then they you know can loosen up the belt, and it's like okay, now we have some breathing room. Now we can sort of make some long-term decisions but as you said they have to get to that point and and make a decision on on some players yeah that's where we are now because we know there is the two-year shelf life on a lot of these problematic contracts with smith shattenkirk and stall 
uh, and of course Henrik Lundqvist in terms of you know the contracts that are taking up cap space and you know it's it feels strange to still feels a little strange to say Henrik Lundqvist and problematic in the same sentence but you know at this stage of his career you paid this the, the premium you paid for him because you had the best gold thunder on the planet for as long as the Rangers did so that's the price they paid but that is not necessarily the case with Stahl and Brendan Smith in particular and to some extent Shattenkirk although as we've said a couple times on the show his his is a case that requires a closer look because of the fact that he played injured uh, you know he was playing on one kneecap in his first season and then last season was you know either the first or second best defenseman for the Rangers in terms of even strength play it was likely Tony D'Angelo depending on what metrics you favor more or uh, or look at the closest but those problems are coming off the books in two years. The thing that matters now is the Rangers, Tom, as you looked at in your article for us. They have to sign Pavel Buchnevich, they have to sign Brendan Lemieux, and they have to sign Tony D'Angelo. And if we look at CapGeek, um, I said CapGeek, if we look at CapFriendly right now, they're just under a million over the cap, and that is a... You know, and Kravstov is uh, on cap friendly. Kravstov is buried in in the AHL. So, and both Bolesky and Smith are up in the NHL. But you get to this point of something will have to give. And whether that's the buyout that'll happen, you know, when we figure out the whatever resolution there is with Pavel Buchnevich and his arbitration hearing. And then there's this whole matter of the fate of Chris Kreider and whether or not it's more likely we'll see Vlad Nemestikov or, or Strom beat dealt. What do you think is going to happen here, Tom? So I think there are a number of options the Rangers can go through. And as you mentioned, you know, sort of the situation on cap friendly, uh, in a, an article I put out Sunday, I just sort of wanted to give a baseline to say, okay, you move Bolesky down, you move Smith down, you move Kraftsoff up and you sign the remainder of your, uh, RFAs to you know contracts that are I think are reasonable. So if you have Buchnevich at three million, you have Lemieux at about a million. I think it's you know give or take a hundred thousand dollars. The answer around two point five, I think you said right. Yep. Then they're in the red by four point five million, and that's a roster size of twenty two. So it's something that it's going to require multiple steps just not for the fact of clearing space but as you move someone off the roster you're eventually going to have to bring someone back on so that they, they that yeah. you can round out your your roster um it, it to me it becomes like everyone is talking about kevin shattenkirk just because he gives the most money up front which it's it's you know over five million dollars this year but the problem is you're then giving all that money back next year because of the way that his contract is structured. So it's sort of a situation of, okay, I get all this space now, but then I'm in this sort of situation next year where I'm trying to sign players and it, it just doesn't work for me. Um, I, I would say that, like we've all said all along, you it's one of Nemestikov or Strom, probably with some form of salary retention, um, and, and you try to do that first, and then push comes to shove, I, I think the buyout has to be stalled just because of how the money spreads out this year and next year. 
Yeah, that's. I feel like both you and I, and I would imagine Joe and a couple, and many other members of, uh, of the BSB crew, for that matter, would agree that Stall, if you have to do a buyout, it feels like it's Stall or Smith would be the most impactful. But because of what Stall's, you know, salary is, he's the guy who just feels like the best fit, even though the Rangers have maybe some more depth on the right side than they do on the left. When we're talking about, you know, just trying to make a roster it's not just getting out of the cap like you said and it's an important point here you have to have enough bodies to have an nhl roster and you can't just you know cut off a lot of these these extra limbs here and expect that this team can still you know move forward and then you know your your depth guys become you know the greg mckegs and recent rangers signing phil d giuseppe who i'm glad i found a, i remember to work into the show right now um he is, for the moment, just considered to be yet another depth guy in Hartford, but I was going to touch on that a little bit later. But getting back to what uh, we're really talking about here is, like you said, things its things have to change. Like, we have to have something happen with this roster, and some retained salary is definitely a possibility, uh, especially in the Vlad Nemestikov or, uh, situation and, you know, even potentially Kreider. But if it's still... I don't understand why Kevin Shattenkirk would have such a negative trade value in terms of a team that wouldn't be willing to take his deal on at three point, you know, three two five a year if the Rangers retained fifty percent. But it feels more likely that teams would say, you know, hey, Strom is coming off of a career year, even though his shooting percentage was through the roof. Or more importantly, you know, Vlad Nemestikov was a guy who was playing on one of the best lines in hockey. Not not that long ago the Rangers have used him in more of a depth role teams love center depth and a lot of teams love guys like Nemestikov who can play that two-way game and have that history of finding success when they're moved up in the lineup right that's something that a deep team would love to have they have a center injury you can turn to a guy like Nemestikov come the playoffs and say well he's not going to replace Mark Shifley but you know he's going to be a better option than you know whoever our third or fourth line center might be now. Um, moving moving towards no, did you have something to say, Tom? Yeah, I had two things to say, and you brought up both of them, so it's sort of a, a good transition. Uh, mm. First, being Kreider, um, I I think the Rangers cap situation and Kreider are sort of married together in the sense that I don't truly believe that the team yet has an idea of what they want to do with him and the reason i believe that is because um as i pointed out in my article if you look at the way that a stall buyout combined with a trade of stromer and nemestikov would work out they could finesse a 21 to 22 man roster for this season hope that there's not any major injuries that they'd have to add reinforcements and then it kicks the can down the road to where everything opens up next year. And then if they want to keep Kreider and the number works for both sides, they could keep him. But if they are sort of thinking that they're going to trade him regardless, that is one way right there that you open up, you know, $4.625 million. And that, that's a situation where you're telling the team if you want him you're taking the whole cap hit on. I know that, you know, I think it was 
or sort of at the deadline this past year when we were speculating moves they could make, we could say, oh, the Rangers could trade him at 50% and a team would be getting a hell of an asset that would allow them to make a deep run this year and next year. And then the second point being, is you brought it up, Nemestikov showed that he could play on one of the best lines in hockey. To me, he's sort of like... Uh, in men's league when you sort of invite that ringer to come play for you they have this skill and they just go on a line and you do whatever you tell them to do i see so many teams around the league like uh, montreal is one example buffalo is one example where they kind of need that in-betweener that you put him with a really good center and i think that's what nemestikov could be and i'm kind of surprised they're hasn't been any interest in him because of that yeah that feels like it's something that should have happened especially after some teams maybe missed out on opportunities in free agency they lost maybe a bidding war or you know they were in on something that didn't kind of come to fruition and a guy like Nemestikov feels like a pretty solid consolation prize you know he's he has the contract he has which you know is four million on the cap and, you know, not every team in the league can afford to take that on. But like you said, the Rangers will have to, you know, generally speaking, take something back in return. And, you know, maybe you, you gain a net $3 million in cap space if you take on a younger guy or uh, a depth piece in addition to something like, you know, picks and prospects. But there's a lot, there's a lot of things that have to fall in place for, before we get a real idea of what is going to happen as a result of this Truba deal. And, you know, we already really talked about, you know, figuring out everything in regards to the RFA situation. Buchnevich's uh, hearing is for the 29th, so it is coming up. Uh, you know, it is the next time we have our show, uh, which Joe will not be with us because he is about to have, a, you know, a, another baby. So he's going to be on podcast paternity leave. Tom. Baby! But, uh, so we'll probably have a lot of Tom and Shana and maybe some other guests uh, that I'll just be absolutely awful at uh, hosting the show and forget the name of our other show and things things that Mike does. But circling back to all this, something's going to have to give. This is the roster we see now on Cap Friendly is not the Rangers roster. There's going to be a significant change. And, you know, I know there are some people who are anxious about you know, nearly 20 million wrapped up in these two new players, but it's it is important to to state this and state this again and again. Trubes 25, Panarin's 27. There there are guys in the league who get these big deals that we saw. Like, look at the deal that Eric Carlson signed, right? Look at look at these con- look at the deal that Drew Doughty recently signed, right, Tom? Like, they're just deals across the league guys that are closer to 30 or past 30 and the rangers you know paid big bucks to get guys who are in their prime and are going to be in their prime for you know at least several more years it's it's a big statement that the most active part of the rebuild is over and now really it's it's closer to what we've been hearing you know quinn and and jd talk about this this idea of the build and a big part of that now is going to come down to developing these prospects and young players because more than ever before it's clear like you need to develop your own talent it's the most cost-effective way to build a roster a competitive roster the rangers you know what we see now like 
the situation will shift and change two years from now when a lot of those contracts come off the books, but it's very easy to see how quickly a team can go from seemingly having all the cap space in the world, like the Rangers seem to be in that position, to right up against it. And, you know, they're in a position now where they have to be make the most of these these picks and prospects and get these kids developed and build from within because there does come a time when you can't really afford to go to go into bidding wars and free agency because you just don't have the cap space. Well, I think that's a good point, and you sort of hit on it right there. And one of the things that the Rangers will benefit from is that, yes, they did pay a premium, and it, in a sense, there's been some who have said, okay, well, they sort of moved up the timeline a year early. Would they have benefited from another top 10 pick and a very deep 2020 draft? And, yes, you you can't lie and say no that they wouldn't have benefited from additional young cost controlled talent but everything that's been said it's where the rebuild became a build where you could see at the end of last year after every loss you know Quinn looked a little and a little bit more frustrated because he had seen the potential of the team in terms of work ethic and grinding out wins, and it came out to where there were some times where they made stupid mistakes. Um, but the Rangers are going to be able to afford this partially because they have the ELC players they have now. Kako, Kraftsoff, Hedl, Anderson, Howden, potentially Fox, and Eventually, you're going to add some more people in, whether it's Keandre Miller, Niles Lundquist. We're right now on Banner. We're running, or Adams running his his prospect rankings, and you see some of these names, and some are farther away than others, but but not really. And those are other additional young, cost-controlled talent, which is going to help offset some of these bigger contracts. So I understand 100% what you're saying in terms of there's this anxiety and in terms of the money that's being spent and worrying about balancing it, but you operate within the moment. What are, what are the best ways to improve your team without um, mortgaging your future, which we all know what they've done in terms of trading draft picks, you know, Eric Stahl, all those types of moves. This doesn't feel like this. This feels like, as JD said, adding the right talent at the right age, not a lot of tread on the tires, while still giving our young kids room to grow. And I'm fine with that. Yeah, I'm fine with that too. There's a part of me, I think, that it would have been more comfortable from the perspective of another year building, especially with the draft and and all that. But this was... There are not a lot of opportunities for a team to, in an offseason, add an Adam Fox, add a first-pair right-side defenseman, and add a, a franchise winger in Panarin you know, through free agency, in addition to the fact that the Rangers got Capo Caco. Like, the amount of overhaul that's happened in this offseason is... It's indescribable. Like, we've been writing about it all summer long, and we're barely scratching the surface because it's a monumental change. This is like the post-Lundquist Rangers, right? This is the next chapter of this team. It's going to start with the fact that, you know, it's $20 tied up in Truba and Panarin, who all of a sudden are 
the two guys who were under contract for the longest amount of time on this team, right? Those are the guys who are going to, you know, generally speaking, they're the guys we expect to be here the longest. And it's, you know, after that, it's the kids who can develop, who, who the team can develop and use as complementary players. And hopefully guys like Kako can become the other elite players that you build around. And it's a crazy thing to think of that, that, that page has finally turned. We're in that next chapter now. And the Truba deal is kind of, is, you know, is the beginning of that next chapter. It, like we saw the other pieces come into place and now we're just trying to figure out the other things that are going to happen as a result of that because this is not the team, as, as I said before, the, the team we have now is not the team we're going to see in September and October, Tom. So I personally, I think it's, Although I don't think this is the right thing for the Rangers to do, I expect them to consider the Shattenkirk buyout. Even though it is, you know, like you said, it just creates a similar problem next season. That problem is reduced partially by the fact that that Girardi penalty comes down from 3.6 to 1.1 million. So there's a little bit of sting taken out of it, out of it that way. But if you can get out of this strictly by trading... And even if it means just downgrading your roster, strictly downgrading your roster to get under the cap, that is the best thing to do, in my opinion, both short and long term. Because it's better to do that than to take on those cap penalties that we know. Few teams like know as well as the Rangers do just how punitive they can be. Yeah, and that's the part it's... For me, it hurts because I can I can see it as clear as day. If there were to buy out Shattenkirk, there would be teams lining up to immediately sign him, similar to right after Brad Richards was bought out, and then he signs that sweet he, sweetheart deal with the Chicago Blackhawks, and he wins another Stanley Cup. And it's it, it to me it becomes for the purpose of the Rangers because there are there are things that they could do to get rid of these contracts at full value but what is their 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 pain tolerance and you know not to you know throw like a monkey wrench into things or you know cause speculation or say that i'm advocating for any of these things but if you're looking at everything as equal what happens if you say okay if you take this contract we'll give you brett howden if you take this contract we'll give you Leah Sanderson, like those, those are things that we've seen other teams do before. Chicago Blackhawks, perfect example. When they needed to get rid of Brian Bickles' onerous contract, which it turned out to be obviously, um, we found out later that he, you know, was was battling. I believe it was multiple sclerosis, so it wasn't completely, you know, his fault that he was no longer a good hockey player. They included Tavo Teravainen. Um, there's tons of examples of teams giving up assets that they would, you know, otherwise not choose to, to get rid of bad contracts. Um, and it, it all comes down to what is their plan, not just this year, but what other additions do they want to make to the roster next year? Because you got to keep in mind the space that they have this year and then the space that they have next year. So, um, I, I agree with you. They're going to consider the Shattenkirk buyout, but I think that's one that would really hurt. I don't think hurt. it's the right path forward. Like like you said, it's, there there are teams out there that'll say, 
all right, so Wiggins signed Kevin Shattenkirk for, you know, I don't think he's going to sign the Jason Spezza 700K, you know, league minimum deal, but they can sign Shattenkirk for a million or two million. And just like a show-me contract and a team, you know, that maybe a team that would love to have that kind of depth on the blue line, you know, a competitive team all of a sudden adds someone like Shattenkirk you know, who is himself only 30 right now. That's something that's kind of been lost in a lot of this, but I don't know. It's it, it's this, this, the fact that Truba came in where he did and the Rangers gave the contract they gave to Panarin created this situation. Like, those contracts are worth it for players of that caliber. That's what players of that caliber earn. Like if if you were a Winnipeg Jets fan and you heard that that's what it would take to keep Jacob Truba and like you know all things being equal, you know would they rather have Jacob Truba at eight million a year for seven years, Tom, or would they rather you know get the twentieth overall pick back and have Neil Pionk for two years at three million a year? I think they gave him right. Oh yeah, they definitely want Truba, and even more so in the sense that they didn't re-sign Tyler Myers, so that was some money that was going out the door, and then you you just you figure it out elsewhere. You look to see, is there an overpaid person on my fourth line or somewhere in my bottom six where I can get creative, and you know maybe I do have to sacrifice a draft pick, but it's doing it so I can keep Jacob Truba, who's you know a damn good hockey player, and it it's it's not always easy because it's we look at things like in a vacuum, like oh well in this this circumstance. Whereas if say the Rangers don't trade for Truba, you know he goes to another team, he likely signs long term because as he said, you know he found his home, he found his stability. He had not signed a long term contract to this point in his career. Were there good options for the Rangers next year in free agency? We it's 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 that risk that you play. So it's you gotta operate within the moment. You maybe do some looking forward and you can see like, oh, this is a situation that could come up. Whereas Truba was something by all accounts the Rangers had been monitoring for years because it's we we had always heard rumors of Rangers and Truba, Rangers and Truba, so when this happened, it was like, oh, well, this is kind of expected. Yeah, I, that is a good point. Like, we, there were a lot of signs pointing to this, and maybe that is something that even Gordon had game planned to some extent. But, you know, like we said before, I think a lot of this just comes down to Gordon, you know, and, and JD, but especially Gordon, because, you know, JD was kind of a late addition to the picture here in terms of the rebuild. Getting Capo Caco in free agency, you know, before before everything gets moving, you make the deals for Fox, you acquire Truba, you draft Capo Caco, you sign Artemi Panarin, and then you have to sign, you know, Jacob Truba. And all of a sudden, you know, you you make all these moves and you're like, wow, this new team and it's just that they're kind of a couple of relics hanging hanging around from the old team. And, uh, you know, Vlad Domestikov and Stromer, like, oh, yeah, you know, they're, they're guys who we can easily imagine this team without. But I think for a lot of people, it's hard to imagine the Rangers without Mark Stahl. Um, and that's something that we'll have to see how the front office handles this because Stahl is a guy who I feel like 
you know, has given a lot to this team and he has this special place, but I, it should not necessarily make him immune to being the guy they consider to buy out. And again, I say that with the full belief that if they can avoid a buyout at any cost, they need to do it. If Even if that means you take a lump in a trade, like you just, you give a team a guy who's going to help them, like let's say you give a team Vlad Nemestikov, or you give a team give a team Ryan Strom, and you know they're going to help that team. Getting cap space back in that trade should be all you really hope for. If you get anything else, that might be gravy, if it means avoiding a buyout. And the other alternative, which I talked offline about this um, with Mika, is that if there are any opportunities out there where you can you can trade out salary and get equal salary back, but spread across, you know, two or three players. So hypothetically, you trade Nemestikov out, um, and then you get back four million back, but it's a guy that's making a million, another guy making a million, and then another guy making two million. Um, those $2 million plays you can then bury in Hartford. Then you have the $2 million player, which you could also bury potentially. So then you're artificially getting cap space because you're, you're, you're taking, you're sending it out and getting it back. But the way that the contracts are run, um, you're doing it. That might be a little bit more creative and that might be asking a little bit more of, uh, you know, NHL general managers, but you know, it's just a thought, and maybe it's the uh, the NHL EA NHL general manager in me. You know, Tom, to address that that EA NHL manager in you, I want to ask you: What do you think was the worst contract signed, free agency, whether it's an RFA or a UFA, this offseason by any team? Um, I would say it's Bobrovsky's just because yeah. it's so much damn money <laughs> and it's so many years. And, like, yeah. everyone talks about long-term goalie contracts not aging well. And Hanks has been, like, the only one that you really can say over the length has been mm-hmm. pretty good. Like, the jury's out a little bit on Carey Price because he showed a little bit of a resurgent, but he does have that injury history. But Bob's in his 30s. Like... I, I had no idea what they were doing, and especially after you make your your first round draft pick, Spencer Knight. Like, what the yeah, fuck? That was a uh, like I knew Bob was gonna get paid. I didn't think he was gonna hit ten million. I thought he was gonna be like a guy who a team might say. Especially the thing that is really boggles my mind is what teams w- was Florida competing with? You know what I mean? Like. Who who did they really have to outbid to get Bobrovsky? He wanted to be there. Um, I think there was artificially the Islanders because there was this thought that they were going to be a package deal, but I kind of think that was bullshit, and it was sort of a you know a way to up the price for you know the Rangers. Like, oh, we're going to try and sign you know Panarin and Bobrovsky, so you're going to have to spend a little bit more money. But nope. Panarin's like, yeah, I'll take a little bit of less because I'm going to yeah. go with the Rangers. Bob is definitely my number one. I'm I'm not sure who my number two is. It's, it's Tyler Kevin Myers. Hayes. Kevin Hayes is up there, and I was about to say Tyler Myers making six mil for five more years. God bless him. You can get that money. Take it. I, who am I to complain? You know, <laughs> like, yeah, get get that bread. Yeah, get, go ahead and get paid, young man. But holy hell, um, but like the reason I brought this up and. 
the other thing I want to ask you is, what do you think are some of the best contracts we've seen signed? And to me, the one that is just like, oh yeah, that's a great, great deal, is Timo Meyer, even though it only has the four-year term, but getting him at six million. And of course, interestingly enough, I really do think that, you know, for the player, the the Aho contract is great for Sebastian Aho for the team. Like, Carolina had no problem matching it, but they did not want to sign him for five years. They wanted him at eight years or seven years, so that is in itself a bummer. But I think the Meyer contract being what it is and being where the Sharks are where they are was a really good deal. Um, and, you know, looking looking at the rest of it, it's like, you know, it, Truba was kind of market price, right? And you look around, like, Zuccarello definitely got a got paid in a, in, a, in a big way and you know you look around the contracts that have been handed out you know the contracts that are above let's say like five million it's like even Anton Schralman I thought considering where he is at this stage of his career I'm surprised he got three years at 5.5 million like yeah that's a little much a lot of that like that stuff I think Myers getting six million Schralman getting 5.5 for three years those things do matter when we talk about the Truba contract, right? Like, you need to... Like, context is everything for con- for these big contracts, and that's why things like the cap percentage are so important when we compare contracts from year to year, right? And, like, you think about, all right, well, you know, it's maybe it's a couple guys, but no, you know, it's, it's Eric Carlson making 11.5 for eight years. It's... You know, it's Alexander Edler making $6 million for the next two years as a 33-year-old defenseman, you know, for the Canucks as well. It's it's a kind of a crazy, crazy thing, but when, as the cap goes up, these contracts go up. Like, guys are not going to settle for less. So, it's been a goofy offseason. Oh, what was your... I, I cut you off. What was your favorite contract? So, I think, um, you know, some of this might have been just sort of the... Uh like the the taxation situation for uh, the state of Tennessee, but you know Matt Duchesne getting eight million dollars a year from Nashville that was a lot less than I thought, even when you consider what yeah, Kevin Hayes got. Nine. Yeah, so I think that was a good contract. Um, I'm I like the uh, the one year Spezza deal for Toronto. It's sort yeah, of it's uh, one year seven hundred k zero risk. Maybe not a ton of uh, potential for a reward, but like if you just want a guy to step in and replace Marlowe, it's hard to do better than that. I mean, just he's just going to be a different sort of player, but will offer a lot of the same off the ice stuff and in the locker room stuff, and he's going to come there on a dime, seven hundred k. Yeah, and I also like the um, the Jonas Donskoy contract for Colorado. I mean, it's it's three point nine million for four years, but I think. Uh, he was sort of an underrated player in San Jose, and I think the avalanche they had, um, you know, they had some decent forwards, but it sort of dropped off significantly, and, you know, he'll be a, a good mesh for them as well. And talking about some of these signings, we mentioned earlier in the show, the Rangers signed Phil DiGiuseppe to what is essentially just an, an, a one-year deal. He's a, He will be an RFA after this contract is has expired, but he is essentially just a yet another body, another veteran player for the Wolfpack. And, you know, we, we all knew that we were, especially after JD's comments um, in regards to Mark Letestu and how valuable, you, valuable he was to the Blue Jackets AHL affiliate, we knew that we would see some of these big changes coming. 
um, in Hartford, especially because you know they shipped off Peter Holland and you know they they did the swap for Cole Schneider and all of that. But like, if looking at this now, Tom, did you expect us to see this many guys brought in? I don't think I expected to see this many guys brought in. Yeah. Um, I think it's a situation of they want as many um, many veteran players as possible and maybe some that aren't as far removed from playing in the, the NHL. Um, and I'm just double-checking this right now because I want to make sure that the timeline matches up. But uh, Di Giuseppe... He went to the University of Michigan, mm-hmm. and he was there in 2011-12, 2012-13, 2013-14. I feel like that matches up when Bunyevez was there. So a former teammate of, uh, let's Abu, see. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, they're 2012-20. Yo, this is even more interesting. So 2012-13, University of Michigan, you have number three leading scorer, Jacob Truba, 29 points. Number four leading scorer, Bunyeves, 29 points. And number five leading scorer with 28 points, Phil DiGiuseppe. So that's... uh. Who's number four? Oh, so I did three, four, five. So number one <laughs> was Alexander... Guptill, 36 points. Number two was AJ Trias, 31 points. And then Truba, Nieves, 29. DiCiuseppe, 28. Obviously, we have to go out and find those men. Um, that is interesting, though. It, it, it also it feels like there's a pretty common thread of all these guys the Rangers have added, these veteran guys for the AHL with the Wolfpack. Mm-hmm. A lot of college experience. Um, you know, Daniel Regan, of course, uh, was a Quinn player. And he's I think he's the guy they... They are kind of hoping to be a big part of that, the locker room presence there. And, you know, there's there's a lot there in terms of do we expect Greg McKegg to be on the Rangers roster? Not really, right? So he's yet another guy who could end up down there. And, you know, it's I feel like what's it's, it's not at all surprising to see these guys with AHL deals get one or two year deals. And the thing that's so great about that is you have these guys in one-year deals, and almost all of them are RFAs. And then you have them there, and they come off their deal, and then you can say, okay, well, you know what? Uh, we have a kid who's ready for the AHL now. We'll just move on, and you just have this kind of, you know, just moves forward with creating those spots and letting the the elder statesmen on of you know in your AHL system become the guys that you're signing now, hopefully, if you, if you develop and and build the right character with those guys. So that's something to keep an eye on. I also wanted to, your show's running, you know, a little longer than we thought, I think. But I wanted to ask you, Tom, are you surprised we don't have a fucking head coach for Hartford yet? Yeah. We don't have a head coach at Hartford. It's it's kind of interesting because they've been looking for one. And uh, reportedly, this was from... Uh, Rich Coppola of Fox 91 in Hartford. Uh, multiple sources. This was going back, but because uh, Kevin Deneen was of the the brother of of uh, I believe it's video coach Jerry Deneen. Um, he was hired to to coach uh, in uh, San Jose. So the the their affiliate. Um, what is it? The the um, 
the Barracuda, I think it is. Yeah, I think it's the Barracudas. So multiple sources tell me that while he wasn't offered the job in Hartford, New York Rangers did speak with former Whaler Kevin Deneen about vacant Wolfpack head coach position. Um, oh, so excuse me, Deneen signed in Anaheim to become the head coach of their affiliate in San Diego. So the San oh, Diego Gulls. Yeah. So the Gulls. So yeah, but um, yeah, it's kind of strange because I think one of the things that we had talked in our our banner chat was um when do ahl contracts expire like could it have been a situation there was a coach under contract that the rangers were weaking uh, waiting to speak with but um yeah they're the only ahl affiliate without a head coach and i kind of think like you might have someone by now but you know it's um maybe it's more of a how they want to fill out the roster and then okay we have these this is our roster share. We have mostly veterans. We have some kids, you know. We're therefore we need this type of coach. So sort of taking the coach to the roster, and then going forward, you build the roster to the coach. And but you know, who the hell knows? Yeah, to me, it's it's really interesting because I would be disappointed if they waited this long to to be active in the search for this coach or to make a decision and then you end up with a guy who you might not be thrilled with and you end up with another guy who's going to be here for a year or two instead of finding you know a coach who you feel comfortable with working in congress with quinn work with his systems and you know reiterating that because that's such an important aspect of your ahl affiliate is the same systems you see on your NHL team, that's what you see with your AHL team. And that makes the transition that much easier for players, especially young guys who have worked their way up uh, to that NHL level or they get a cup of coffee or what have you. They get that rare opportunity. They don't have to suddenly say, oh, crap, I have to learn what the, you know, the big club systems are and, you know, before I have my first game in the show. Exactly. And I would be really surprised if... You know, that isn't something the front office has considered, especially J.D. and Gordon. Like, this is probably a decision they don't want to rush, but I would, I don't know. The fact that we might get to August without figuring out who the head coach is in Hartford is surprising, to say the least. Um, but yeah, I think I think we covered a lot of time. I'm going to read some, some patrons now. Um, thank you all for supporting the show and listening to the show especially our patrons who as joe always says are are just kind of better than the rest of you i don't think that's necessarily true i just think they're you know they just offer a little bit more because they can and we appreciate it adam nahoek aiden gaspar alex gardner armriel kistner andre Chicagov, anthony viola arch williams bob kawa bobby callahan chris habibi who just got married by the way congratulations to chris congrats chris Lu- lucas Chris O'Connor, Craig Lachlan, Dan Crozy, Daniel DeGen, Danny Santiago, David Elsinger, Eric Cohn, Eric Carlson, Fancy Lawrence, Gabriel Vargas, 50, Igor Zaslavsky, James Dangles, John Reppy, Johnny Lowe, Jordan Sassone, Joshua Zarkin, Keith Franchillo, Matt from Brooklyn, Meaty Ogre, and this these are my Michaels, Tom. Michael Kanick, Kanick, Michael Kanick, Michael Marcus, Michael Scott, Michael Silvers, Mike Offit. Not a single fucking Joe. Panarin 2020, Sammy Vogel, Sammy Vogel Seidenberg. Patreon cuts off your name, Sammy. I apologize about that. Stink Fleeman, Tall Guy Rob, Thomas Osa, Toy from Manhattan, and Trevor Kempner. Thank you all very, very much. Tom, you have any parting words for the lovely people? 
thank you for supporting the show. Um, you know, I think I think a good way of describing them. We have, you know, you have the people that you know on the show. You know, we're the we're the, like the first liners, our patrons. You know, they're they're supporting us. They're getting you know, they're they're giving us a breath when we need to change off. They're our second line, and then uh, you know everyone else is uh, you know like the third line. And uh, you know for this week for this show. Uh, you know, Joe's like, uh, you know, the backup goalie, or he's like the fourth liner, just sitting on the bench, uh, really not doing much of anything. Good God in heaven, shots have been fired. All right, that's this week's show. We'll catch up with you on Off the Post. See, I remember the names of the shows I do every week in my life. Bye bye. Bye. <laughs>